0: All right, well, let's um, turn to God's Word together. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to the book of Daniel. And we'll be in Daniel chapter 4 this morning. And I continue to be encouraged by this book. I hope you um, are as well. And we can hope my notes don't fly away this morning. I was in um, Wisconsin last weekend at Fort Wilderness teaching a men's retreat on the topic of friendship, and we met outside, and it was freezing up there. People had campfires out. It was kind of a setup like this, though not a hill, and people clustered around campfires. So that was fun. Um, This isn't that chilly, though, right? It's just a little breeze. Um, All right, well, Daniel is filled with incredible stories. And this morning, we're looking at a story that, in my experience, is often overlooked in Daniel has for me Daniel chapter 4 and this story focuses attention on the radical transformation of the king of Babylon Nebuchadnezzar this is this chapter by the way that we'll be looking at this morning is actually a letter from this king to the known world at the time this chapter opens this way King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples nations languages that dwell on earth And what he's doing here is he is telling his story of how God humbled him and saved him. Now, it's debated whether or not he's truly converted here, actually came to know the one true God and received his grace. I think he was. Either way, he's telling the story of how God worked in his life to completely change him. Now, this Babylonian king that that we're going to read about here, he was one of the most powerful kings in all of human history. And he was very much anti-God. I mean, he, he besieged Jerusalem. He took Daniel and these others um, away from there. He later would destroy the temple, burn the city uh, in different places. Uh, many people died. But God loved him and pursued him and brought good news to him and humbled him and was patient with him. And now, this king is writing to the known world to say how great God is, the one true God, the most high God. And so, this is the message he wants the world to know. He wants the world to know that God is the true king. He is in charge not only of heaven, but of the kingdoms of the earth. And through the chapter, we'll hear this repeated refrain. It's in verses 17 and 25 and 32. And the lesson God is teaching him is this. That the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. So this is a message of God's kingship over all things, over all people, over all kingdoms. And this message confronts our pride. And so look at the very last verse and then we'll read a section together. Look at the last verse of the chapter. If you have Daniel 4 open with me, this is his lesson. In verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So that's what he needed to learn. And he's filled with joy sharing the story. So as we hear this story, here's what I want us to consider. That God is the one true king, not only over heaven, but over all the kings and rulers of the earth and us that God is able to humble the proud. And so if you are walking in pride right now, God is able to humble you. And he's also able to heal you, as we'll see. And if you have already come through this kind of deep humbling from the Lord, then like Nebuchadnezzar, you have a story to tell. Every Christian has a version of the story that we are going to read here. To become a Christian is to be humbled by God. And this often happens when we reflect on the good news of Jesus, this continual re-humbling. And we learn that really at the root of our sin is pride. We don't thank God for his goodness to us. We take credit for what we have and we think we deserve it. And yet God loves us in the world so much that he sent Jesus to be not only the one true king, but a humble king and to die in our place for our sins, and to rise again on the third day, and to be exalted as the king who receives sinners like us. He has a gracious posture. And so we now have a story to tell. And so what we're going to read here is really what we call evangelism. If you're not familiar with that word, it's just telling the good news of Jesus Christ with people. This is how Christianity spreads in the world. It's people like Nebuchadnezzar who reflect on the good news of God's grace to them and they want to share it with others. So maybe the Lord would rekindle this desire in your own heart this morning. So let's read in Daniel chapter 4 beginning in verse 19. So Nebuchadnezzar has this terrifying dream. He seeks Daniel, this prophet of God, to tell him what it means and then Daniel recounts the dream here and gives the interpretation. So beginning in Daniel, chapter 4, verse 19. And just a reminder, we believe this is true, and this is powerful, and this is God's very word to us as we read it. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar, by the way, that's Daniel, answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, there's a tree in his dream which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which, food for, in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, Verse 26, And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, and the great king, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Verse 33. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. And ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days. I, Nebuchadnezzar. Lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants on the earth Now I, and here's the conclusion, Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Well, Nebuchadnezzar shows us several key lessons here about who the one true God really is and how he rules the earth. So let's see the key movements here. We see that God confronts the king God humbles the proud. And good news for us, God lifts the lowly. So let's walk through this together. God confronts the king first. So Nebuchadnezzar, at the beginning of the story, his life was going fine. Uh, He was at ease, verse 4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and, and prospering in my palace. So he's successful. He's powerful. He was at ease. But he was also prideful. Many people today are just like King Nebuchadnezzar. We all have seeds of this in our hearts, every one of us. We live in America, which means we live in one of the most prosperous places. We're at the top of the global prosperity charts and our communities in this area are particularly wealthy and we're tempted to think that if life is good in these external ways, then all is well. But that's not always the case. We may be at ease, but we may be be decaying inside in our hearts, rotting with pride. And so God graciously but firmly got the king's attention. He troubled him with this ominous dream and it terrified him. They mentioned this a couple uh, weeks ago as well when we saw that God did this to him before, that God is able to do this to the kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth. He can get anyone's attention in any way he wills. And so Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream this giant tree that grew and, and grew to highest as heaven and then over, spread over the whole earth and then this tree in his dream was chopped down and a stump was left which represented some man but then the man received an animal's mind and lived with the animals and then verse 17 says the sentence is by the decree of the watchers which are angels the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know this is the point that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and he sets over it the lowliest of men. Now, I'm guessing that Nebuchadnezzar probably had a good guess about who that dream was about. Uh, But, to be certain, he calls Daniel to interpret it for him. And when Daniel hears it, he has a striking response. And I think this is really where Daniel shines uh, in this story and in this book. He's he's an incredible example of for us today. Let's just remember who Daniel is here. He grew up in Jerusalem. One of this kind of royal, noble men in the, in the Jerusalem area. And Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city, captured Daniel and his friends, and made him serve in his court. Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar would uh, later destroy Jerusalem and the temple, killing many people. So how do you expect Daniel to respond when he hears that this ruthless king has this ominous dream. I would expect him to be happy. But let's notice and learn from three ways Daniel responds. First, look at his compassion. Here's how Daniel responded. Look at verse 19 with me. Daniel, when he heard this dream, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. Then he said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. Daniel has a sincere concern for this king. He knows that Nebuchadnezzar is a terrible king. But he's also a human being. Made in God's image. And so Daniel's alarmed by the dream. I think this is a great example for us. God called those exiles, those Jewish exiles who were shipped to Babylon, to seek the good of the city. We learn that from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And Daniel has been doing that. He's been seeking the good of the city. Seeking the good of Babylon. Seeking the good of this king. And this is a reminder for all of us right now in the midst of our, you know, land of political turmoil. Everything seems to be pushing toward polarization. This, this message to hate those who are against you. That there's only uh, one side or the other. Right? It's an either or. All these false dichotomies. Never a both and. Never um, a mix. Pick one side or the other and then despise those who disagree with you. That's how things are so often framed today. But Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for them. So even in our disagreement, we should have a heart of love and compassion toward others. Speaking clearly but compassionately. Consider also Daniel's credibility here. Daniel has served the king well now for a number of years. And so this king trusts him. He wants to hear from him, this prophet of God. A lot of people in our land need to hear about Jesus. But how will they hear unless they know Christians? And how will they hear if every Christian has been rude to them? Or just stood aloof from them? What so many leaders in our nation need... Um, are kind Christians who disagree with them and can speak corrective words to them, but who love them and can even share certain measure, a certain measure of friendship with them. You, know, you may be aware, if, if you've been looking in the news, it's a headline everywhere, right, that um, one of the Supreme Court justices recently passed away, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And as Christians, we grieve the loss of um, a woman made in God's image and just a few years ago, another Supreme Court justice passed away, uh, Justice Scalia. And the two couldn't have been further apart in certain ways from what we understand of their political views. Uh, but there is this great article that was written a while ago and then again to, uh, this past week or so from Justice Scalia's son was sharing um, about the friendship that his dad had with Justice Bader Ginsburg. And how even though they disagreed with one another, on really important things, they would still spend New Year's Eve together as families. So what a great picture of being able to know and care for another human being who has dignity, made in God's image, who you disagree significantly with. Our nation needs more of that right now, doesn't it? And Daniel shows us that God can use these relationships to bring grace to other people. I've had a number of people in my life over the years, who disagree with me about all sorts of things, but we stay friends, we stay in touch, and enjoy various aspects of life, and I found, and maybe you found this as well, that when life gets really hard for them, when some tragedy strikes, it's surprising how quickly they reach out to me, because they know that I know God, and they know they can be safe to talk to me. When a wife left a past coworker, he wanted to share that with me and we talked it through. When a neighbor's wife passed away, he called me right away and wanted to get together. and I could give him a Bible and pray with him and talk to him. When another neighbor had a brother pass away, same thing happened. And so part of being a faithful witness in our day is, part of it, not all of it, but part of it is simply being there and being credible. It's being someone who, who people know loves God and loves them. We all have also have the privilege, though, of speaking about Jesus. We shouldn't just be a faithful presence, but we need to be a faithful witness. And so, third, look at Daniel's courage. We've seen his compassion, his credibility, but look at his courage here. Daniel tells the king that he is that tree in the vision that will get chopped down. He says to the king that he's going to go insane, live like an animal, until he acknowledges that God is the true king. And then he adds his own counsel at the end. This is where we see his courage. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel is encouraging this king to repent. Repent of his self-centeredness and his turn from his sins. And he's doing, he's to do two things, to practice righteousness, which is doing right um, according to God's character and to show mercy to the oppressed rather than violently conquering them. You know, we're having discussions in our own nation today about what this looks like in certain areas, right? What does it look like to do justice and to show mercy to the oppressed? And there's a lot of disagreement and conversations that need to be had about uh, where there may or may not be injustice. Or there's disagreement about who is and isn't oppressed and to what degree. There's a lot of disagreement about what policies would best care for those who are poor or imp- oppressed. But one thing we should all agree with is what Daniel says here. Society, a society should practice righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed and care for the oppressed. So it would go a long way if everyone at the beginning of a conversation could agree on that goal with this shared vision even if we aren't yet on the same page of what it even looks like to move forward. And so with Daniel, we see this incredible combination of compassion, credibility, and courage. And those rarely go together. Some people have compassion, but they lack the courage to say things that are hard. Some people have courage, but they say it without compassion. Some people have credibility, but they squander it by not ever saying anything courageous or compassionate. But Daniel has all three, which is why he ends up being so powerful here. God uses him to confront the king. And so... First, God confronts the king, and then now we also see that he humbles the proud. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He knows it's about him, but he also knows that it doesn't have to be this way. And so Daniel encouraged him to repent, and if he repented, God would not bring this judgment. But look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, now pause there, Daniel's confronted him, called him to repent. Twelve months pass without the judgment falling. Do you see the patience of God here? He doesn't just drop the hammer. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace, which was flat over there, of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? If you ever needed an illustration of what pride looks like, that's, that's it for you. He's looking out on his kingdom, and what thoughts fill his heart? Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? This is what pride is. It's self-focus. Pride says, look what I've built. Pride says, I did it and I deserve it. That's the heart of pride. Pride says, I do good things, therefore I deserve good things. Humility says the opposite. Humility says, look at what God has given me. I've received good things, but I don't deserve good things because I know my heart and my rejection of the Lord at times. Humility recognizes that everything good we have is a gift from God. And the thoughts of the mind and heart of the humble don't say, I am great and I am entitled. They say, thank you, God. This is why C.S. Lewis said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less because the humble are filled with thoughts of God and others rather than themselves. Do you see this in yourself? That kind of prideful self-focus, sense of entitlement, frustration when things don't go your way? I was talking with um, someone who worked in a local establishment um, here, and it was really fascinating. And this is not an indictment on any individual person, but just an observation to be aware of. Uh, Working in this area, um, and then she also worked at a place in an impoverished area, or a less wealthy area. And I just asked her, you know, what's the difference between working in these two places? And she said, the sense of entitlement. People come in to work with her here, and they're frustrated if they don't get their way. They're impatient if they're not served quickly. And she said, it's just not like that in the other place she le- lives. And so I think that's just an observation that's common to societies and humanity and all of us, right? When, when we receive good things, we can begin to think in our heart we deserve good things. And then it will just come out in subtle ways because we expect to be treated a certain way and we're frustrated with it or not because we deserve it. And so the Lord is calling all of us now to just acknowledge and just notice where there's these seeds of pride in our hearts. And he, the Lord is so patient because even though he gave King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent, he didn't, but then God still was kind to him. So he brought him low first so, just as the king is filled with these prideful thoughts, the Lord makes him go actually mentally insane. It's a mental condition, perhaps, where he even thinks that he's an animal. That's a real thing, by the way. You can look it up. It's not, this isn't mythology. Um, it's a real thing. So, he was just a man, but he was putting himself above humanity, and so God makes him go under humanity and act like an animal and live with the animals. The Bible is clear that God will humble the proud. In one way or another, in one time or another. And so here's the good news for us today, though. The last part of the story, God lifts the lowly. Nebuchadnezzar eventually looked to heaven. And he regained his, his sanity. He turned from pride and then he praised God. And what was the lesson that he learned? Well, he says, he says it in his own words that he learned that God was the true king. God is sovereign is the word that we use it. That God's actually the one in control. And so Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that God is the true king. He's actually in charge. And then once he did that, the Lord gave him the kingdom back. And blessed him with even greater. Uh, more greatness than before. And so the final verse of the chapter is the lesson. You can read it with me again. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So, just in the last few couple minutes here, let me just draw out a few implications that we've seen from this. First, God is in charge of the kingdoms of the earth. God is ultimately the one in charge. We we have kings and presidents and various leaders in power, and they either take the power by some means, or they're voted in, there's human processes that work, but in and through and over all of it, the Lord is in charge. The Lord is the king. And so this doesn't mean that whoever becomes a president or whoever becomes a leader has God's moral approval. Jesus said to Pilate that Pilate has authority because God gave him authority. Then Pilate... with a lack of, great lack of courage, hands Jesus over to be crucified. So it didn't mean that he was a good ruler, but it meant that all authority is from God. And so this is actually comforting for us because it means that this world is not just spinning out of control, though it may seem like that at times. God is in charge and God is at work. As we sang earlier, he has no rivals. He has no equal. He makes rulers to rise and fall. God doesn't just rule heaven. He rules earth and he rules over the kings of earth. Uh, Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 is referred to not just as kind of an abstract ruler, he's called the ruler of the kings on earth right now. He is exalted from his resurrection and he is now ruler of the kings on earth. Second, God can humble the proud. We see this happen all the time. Uh, in small ways and in big ways, in private ways, in public ways, in little ways through everyday life. For us, in big ways publicly. God's humbled many church leaders in recent years in very public ways. I know of many pastors, many of whom had lots of national influence who fell, The Lord and I believe the Lord removed them. Because God is able to humble the proud. He knows how to do that. And so I think also of the Me Too movement, which has exposed a lot of prideful leaders and people in power. God has brought many prideful and abusive people down. And so some of us need this warning this morning. Maybe you have been living in great pride. But this story reminds us, what do we have that we didn't receive? Can you name anything? None of us chose to be born in the country we were born. I didn't choose to have a certain mental capacity. None of us chose to have the mental capacity we were given. None of us chose our gender. The Lord just gives it as we're born, conceived. We didn't choose which country to live in. We didn't choose which generation we were born into. We just show up by God's grace. And so God knows how to give and God knows how to take away. And so if you're walking in pride, then this is a day to come humbly before the Lord, to repent of your pride, and to know that the Lord is happy to welcome you by grace, to forgive it all and to, to teach you and to transform you to walk in happy humility. Third lesson here, don't give up on anybody. God opposed Nebuchadnezzar's pride, but he was for Nebuchadnezzar's good. He was pursuing him. God loved him. God sent the dream in order to warn him ultimately for his good. And even after God humbled him and brought him low, he raised him back up. And that was his plan all along. So wherever you are, think of someone right now who you, you just comes to mind who's furthest away from God's grace in your mind. Maybe it's someone you've prayed for for years to know Christ but they haven't yet and you're tempted to give up hope. Or maybe it's someone that you would never actually think to pray for because you just think, man, they are just so far gone. Or maybe it's someone at work or in government who you're tempted to despise. A lesson of this chapter is don't give up on them. God may have plans to humble them like he did Nebuchadnezzar, to give them grace and forgiveness and bring them into his family. Finally, uh, you have a story to tell. This whole chapter is an example of evangelism. We're all evangelists for the things that we love, right? Evangelists who tell people about beauty products or health plans or investing tips or hobbies. We tell the good news of the things that change our lives. And so Nebuchadnezzar's evangelizing here because he's telling the good news to the, to the known world at the time of what's changed his life or who's changed his life, and that's God in his kindness, He was prideful, he's saying, but God humbled me and I want to tell you that God is the true king. That's his message. And so, Christians are called to share the best news in the world. to, To continue to reflect on God's goodness to us and to be filled up with thankfulness and to share that with others. God has brought us to a place of humility. He continues to do that and we're grateful to him. And so, just as Nebuchadnezzar said that God has brought me to a place of honesty about my pride. But he has been so kind to me and forgiven me. He got my attention. And now I want to tell you the good news of God's grace for sinners like me. That's Nebuchadnezzar's message. If you are a Christian, you have basically that message, right? Honesty about our pride and sin that the Lord has exposed. We can share that how God got our attention. Maybe it was a family member sharing the good news with you. Maybe it was through reading the Bible and seeing the beauty of Jesus on the pages of Scripture. Maybe it was hearing a message like this from God's word and hearing about the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection for your sins. But God got your attention and then you have good news that you heard and believed. And you have good news to share with others. And so I want to end by reading once again the scripture we read when we started this service because this is such a great picture of Jesus as our king and the ruler and who also is so humble um, and he rules us with humility. So, Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the Lord Jesus voluntarily became low for us and for our salvation. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for what you did in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, in humbling him, and then showing your grace to him, and then raising him. We thank you that you're a God who loves to lift the lowly, and so we pray that even right now you would be filling our heart with both Humility before you and also great joy that you look to the humble and you lift the humble. And we look forward to the day when the Lord Jesus' rule will be evident to all and every tongue will confess. We pray this in the Lord Jesus' name.
1: Amen. So let's stand and sing about the greatness of our King. at his voice, trembles at
0: It's great to be with you all in the Lord's presence here, and I have uh, Philippi, or Hebrews 10 on my mind often, and so this is encouragement for how to uh, encourage one another in these next few minutes together. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So meeting together has been a challenge, but encouraging one another can still happen creatively, um, as it often does. And so, encourage you to uh, linger this uh, this this morning and encourage one another, get to know someone near you. And we, we view this time of fellowship not just as post-service, but really part of the service. So if you're able to stick around for a few minutes um, and get to know people and encourage one another, that'd be great. So with that, here's a benediction from God's Word. Now may the love of God our Father in the unending grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all this week. Go in peace. Great to see you all.